Margot said, let there be light. So uh, we have, in case you're wondering, sunglasses are approved for this service. I have an extra pair right here if anyone's really suffering. Uh, but we have awesome community theater groups come in and use our space. We like that it's not just used on a Sunday and then collects dust during the week. So we have Rude Mechanicals here, which is a local Shakespeare group, and they are doing a Midsummer's Night Dream, but it's like Shakespeare meets the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It is crazy and awesome and cool, but that is why it's a little bright in here. So you get a free cup of coffee and a free tan. So you are welcome. Uh, so I, I'm Margo. I'm the Wear Love Pastor here uh, at Eastlake. And if it's your first Sunday, this is not typical, but uh, we're so happy that you came to join us. We are in week two of a series called I Hear Voices, and it's about how everyone has an internal dialogue that they, they listen to and they're swayed by in their life. And if you kind of weighed the balance of how many things do I say to myself that are positive and helpful versus how many things do I say to myself that are negative and not helpful, we find that the balance tends to lean more towards the negative. So what are some tools that we can kind of equip ourselves with to, to shush the, the negative voices and to live a much more healthier, productive life uh, with a better internal dialogue? So week one uh, was last week, and it was all about how we tend to stop ourselves from doing much in life because we can't get over the past, be it mistakes that we've made or an upbringing that we've had or things like that. We, we struggle to get past that. And so how do we move on past that and, and kind of find freedom from our own past? And so if you want to hear that or any other messages here at Eastlake, you can find those at eastlaketricities.com slash talks. You can either listen or watch them. Uh, we have the technology, so feel free to check those out. Uh, just so you know, in case you haven't picked up on the fact that this is your first time, Eastlake is kind of a unique church. We like to say we're church for people that don't typically like church. And we have a motto that says that, you don't have to believe to belong. We don't hand out the Kool-Aid at the end of the surface. There's no, you know, raise your hand and you get dunked in a dunk tank or anything like that. We are more so come and listen and kind of make your own judgment. There's no ticker clock above your head saying, hey, if you don't do all these steps by the end of the service, we're taking our free coffee back. We don't, we don't operate like that. We like to operate uh, as everyone's welcome. You're already part of the Eastlake family just from being here. So welcome. Uh, and so we're going to dive right into week two, and this week is going to talk about, last week we talked about getting past our past, and this week we're going to talk about kind of stopping those voices in our head that are constantly discouraging ourselves because we continue to compare ourselves to other people, the voices of comparison. Uh, so I want you guys, we're going to do an experiment, I'm already going to push you guys on the ledge here, make you a little uncomfortable. I want you to raise your hand if you care what other people think. If you are not raising your hand, you're saying, I'm not going to raise my hand, I'm not going to look uncool, and you care what other people think. <laughs> Caught you all. So we all, to a certain extent, care what other people think. But it's this balance, it's this scale, right? Because especially if you're a parent, you always tell your kids, if they you know, come home, so-and-so made fun of me, they're saying mean things about me, you say, don't care what other people think. Maybe your parents told you that. Don't care what other people think. You're special, you're unique, you're beautiful, whatever. Don't care what other people think. But then there's the other side of the scale where maybe you should care what other people think. Like you're wearing Crocs. Maybe you should care what other people think. Uh, 
So there's this, this scale, this balance of how much should we care versus how much should we say, you know, I'm a strong, independent person. I, you know, what other people think about me doesn't matter. And it's tough. It's tough to, to walk this line because we, we don't, we could just say don't care what other people think if we never interacted with someone else. If you lived on an island by yourself, obviously it wouldn't matter what other people think, but we live in community. We live in families. We live in neighborhoods. We go to workplaces. We interact with people. If you don't see anyone typically in your week, I can tell you where they're hiding. They're at Costco. Uh, at all points of the day, I live by Costco, and I swear that there's a secret underground parking that I can never find because you can't get into Costco because all of the Tri-Cities is there. But we, we live and we coexist with people, and because we have to deal with people, there's certain expectations. There's certain expectations we have to meet. One, probably one of the bigger ones, is we should wear clothing. Like, that's, you know... Or if you don't, at least close your blinds, be a good neighbor in that sense. Uh, you know, we're supposed to follow traffic laws, uh, you know, so we can all get safely to our destination. Uh, you're taught you have to wait in line, you know, you wait your turn in line, don't cut in front, that, you know, can shorten your life in some, some circumstances. Uh, you know, we, we tend to all, because we live in community, we all cheer for the same sports teams, go Seahawks, I guess, or we all drive the same car, which is Subarus, apparently, and I'm one for two on those. I'll let you guys figure out which one I am. Uh, so there are ways that we benefit because we live with other people and that expectation's on us. I think if we were honest with ourselves, we probably shower more than we would if, you know, we didn't have to see another soul, but... Dry shampoo is a gift from the Lord. Uh, there's also downsides too, and I think one of the biggest downsides is as long as there's another person in this world, I'm going to be looking at them, I'm going to be looking at myself, and I'm going to compare myself to them. It's just, it's human nature. And part of that's good. Part of that's kind of like a survival tactic. You know, I remember going to middle school and you're terrified because you're like, all right, how do I fit in? How do I not stand out? I don't want to be the weird kid. I just want to, you know act the same way my peers act. I just need to go with the flow. And that's kind of a survival thing so that we can fit in with other people. Uh, I know in college, I was really surprised because I'm one of those geeky learning people. I'm like, awesome, higher education. Everyone here has this passion and this hunger for learning. Not really, maybe a hunger and passion for other things. But I remember sitting in my first class, which was, I think, political science. It was a general education class. And I remember the teacher asked a question, and I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And I got the weirdest looks for raising my hand. I didn't know that it was an unspoken college rule that you do not raise your hand. You do not offer any opinions when the class is over and they say, does anyone have anything they want to discuss or dive into? Everyone's looking around giving the death stare to anyone that would dare raise their hand and make that class go beyond because there is Taco Tuesday at stake. You need to be in the first person in line. So there's all these things that we just learn to kind of mold ourselves to because we live in community and we are, you know, comparing ourselves and kind of gauging how to, how to operate. But I find that comparison is often a really toxic thing. It has its benefits, but it also can be really toxic because we get discouraged when we compare ourselves to other people. When our lives don't look like our coworkers or our siblings or our friends or the people we see on TV or the highlight reel we see on social media, when our lives don't look like that, when that's not our reality, 
we get really discouraged. And what happens is we get this inner monologue going on saying, you deserve that promotion. Why don't you have a house that looks like that? Why don't you have kids that behave like that? Why don't you have that relationship? Why don't you have this? Why don't you have that? Why doesn't your life look as good as everyone else's lives look? And we get really discouraged. We get really discouraged and we get really hard on ourselves because there's two conclusions that we can come to when we start comparing ourselves and we realize we're falling short. And those are conclusions, one of the reasons why our mind gives us why things aren't the way they should be is, number one, life's unfair, right? It's a rigged system. I got dealt a bad hand of cards. Why did this have to happen to me? Why did that parent have to fall ill? Why did that job fall through? Why did this? Why did that? Why? Life's unfair. Reason number one. Reason number two, it's on us. I didn't try hard enough. I didn't study hard enough. I made those life choices that led me down this path. So when these are the two reasons for why our life isn't the way we want it to look like, we really get into this negative rut because it's either all my fault, if I had just tried harder, if I had just studied hard, if I had gone to the gym more, if I had done this, if I had done that, if it's all on us, we get discouraged because then we think, wow, I can't get myself, I can't get my own life together to make my life better, or it's all unfair and I have no control. I have no control over what was done to me. I have no control over these events in my life. And that's really discouraging. It's either all your fault or it's all something you have no control over. How do you escape that really negative rut of, of internal thinking? We start thinking things like, if I hadn't spent so much time with my family, if I hadn't taken that vacation If I had just put all that time into my job, maybe I would have gotten that promotion. Maybe I would have impressed my boss. You start thinking, if I had gone to that college, maybe I'd have the job that I wanted. Or maybe you start thinking, if I hadn't invested in that, maybe my finances would be better. We say, if I had invested in that, maybe my finances were better. If my boss wasn't such a jerk, not me, not saying to me, my boss wasn't such a jerk, my life would be better. I'd get that promotion. I'd be doing better in my career. Or if life was more fair, I'd be where I'd want to be. And this line of thinking just spews this kind of toxin because, once again, it's either all our fault or it's all out of our control. And what does that do? What does that, that create in us? It creates a sense of hopelessness and frustration. And you'll meet those people, or you, like, you go through those bouts yourself, or you're just hopeless, and you're frustrated. So there's, there's actually an account uh, in the Bible that I really feel like kind of shows some of this. It sheds light on this, and I know the Bible is a weird thing for some people, and you don't know how you feel about it, but I promise if you just take it as someone's account of an experience that they had, there's still something to be taken from it. So this account that we're looking at, comes from a book in the Bible called the Book of Luke. It's written by this guy named Luke. He was a doctor. He was pretty smart. So let's hear uh, about the situation that happened. It's in Luke 38. And we see, Now while they were on their way, Jesus entered a village called Bethany. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord Jesus' feet and was continually listening to his teaching. But Martha was very busy and distracted with all of her serving responsibilities. And she approached him, Jesus, and said, Lord, is it of no concern to you that my sister has left me to do the serving alone? Tell her to help me out and do her part. 
But the Lord replied to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage, which will not be taken away from her. So we see poor Martha. In this, time, in this day and age, in this point in history, the, the Jewish people, which Mary and Martha were part of, they had a lot of, of rules and regulations that they operated their lives in, do's and do nots. And one of them, uh, there was a big pressure put on hospitality. When people come over to your home, you would serve a meal of a certain quantity. You would do this, you'd do that for them to serve them to make sure that their visit was nice and comfortable. We do that, right? You know, we have company coming over and you want to clean up. You, you make the house look like it never looks like any other second of the week and you pretend that this is your normal. We, we all do it. Uh, but poor Martha was, was worrying and, and kind of busting her butt. And then we see her sister Mary not helping her out at all. And I know in my household, my mom definitely instilled in me, like, when company comes over, the house is clean. You do what you got to do. You can't have fun. You got to make sure the house is in tip-top shape, nooks and crannies that they're probably not going to see. You get them clean. Like, I was, I even got so anxious when my friends would come over from high school, I'd be like, wait in the hall. Then I'd, like, run into my room and, like, shove everything in the closet. But it reminds me of a modern-day equivalent, which we'll see in this video here of poor Martha. Gotta clean the house now, 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 people! I want this place looking like Disney on ice in one minute. Harry, if you haven't made your bed, throw it away. It's too late to make it now. Company is coming. Get rid of the couches. We can't let people know we sit. The chairs need to be pushed in. There cannot be any sign of living in this house. I don't care if we have to throw everything out. I want this place looking like a new Mediterranean fusion restaurant by noon. David! We cannot have beds. We need more pillows. I, David. I cannot stress this enough. I need those things looking puffed. I need those things looking fluffed. I want the toilet looking like one of those chairs from the Men in Black headquarters. We need more bird feeders. I need a bird feeder in every window. Knobs! David, put seashells on the doorknobs. We can't have any clothes. Everybody take off your clothes. This is a dish towel. We need a hand towel. What are we, barbarians? But it's too late. Oh! David, there's muffins on the counter. <laughs> muffins, there's muffins. Oh, this isn't happening. Oh my god. We have to go into the witness protection program, folks. Okay, get on the rescue again. Where's my family? So I promise my mother's here. She's definitely not on that level. But we all get we all get in this mode of like making sure everything is looking nice. And okay, maybe it's just us ladies. But uh, it's it's so crazy that that we we get in this mindset and we just like want to be Mr. Clean and and get everything spick and span. But why does that happen? Why do why do we get all anxious about making sure everything is perfect? I think it's because. We care what other people think about us. When they come over to our home, we don't want them to look around and say like, oh, we know what she's not doing. We know like how crazy her kids are. We know, you know, all this and that. And, and we don't want that judgment. We want, we want people to think we live in this like home and garden television network snow globe of perfection. And we never, you know, live in our house because it's just in this state of gloriousness. And we do that because we are living life for this kind of approval, like, ah, yes, like, our house is nice. Ah, yes, they have this all spick and span. 
And it's just like, and what, the, what does that do when we live our lives waiting for that approval, when we live our lives structured to gain that affirmation, we end up, just like poor Martha, being worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. Isn't that true? Things that are really silly, like, oh man, this isn't the way it needs to be. My lawn isn't the way I want it to look. My, my truck isn't as shiny as I want it to look. And we end up putting value on things that are really silly, and all that does is make us worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. And I don't think in the account that we read that Jesus is saying it's bad to be a good host. It's bad to have your house in order. Uh, I think what he's trying to say is that when you make that a higher priority than relationship, that's when things get an unhealthy balance. Because that's what it came down to. Martha was trying to fulfill this, this expectation of being the perfect hostess. And Mary was just saying, hey, when it's all said and done, the only thing that matters from this visit is not impressing anyone. It's the time I spend with people. It's the time I spend with this, this teacher that's here at our home. That's, what I'm, that's what's going to last. That's what's going to be remembered. That's what I'm going to take away from this is that relationship not meeting this expectation of having everything just so. And I think it's really hard in our own lives to reverse that because everything's going to tell you to build your resume. Everything's going to tell you to go to school, get the grades, get these skill sets. You know, you know, men, you guys need to be able to build a house with your bare hands and you need to be able to fish and hunt. And like, we like to build these skill sets. We like to build these resumes. We like to say, look at all I can do. And in the end, the only thing that matters is relationship. How we interact with people, how we invest with each other, how we love each other and care for each other and interact with one another. And that tells me that relationship always trumps the resume. Relationship will always be more important than whatever we can achieve and accomplish and add to our resume. And, and in fact, in the job hunt world, relationship does actually trump your resume. We spend so much time building your resume, but we know we go to a job interview. If you don't know the boss, if you don't have an in, you, you might lose the job to someone that has a worse resume to you, but they have the relationship. You can be the smartest person in the world, but if you go to an interview and you can't relate to the person that's doing the interview, they probably won't hire you. So even in the job thing that tells you resume is so important, it's still, even in that, about relationship. And yet we spend so much more time trying to be perfect at so many things to build our resume. And, and the challenge comes because the voice in our, in our head that we're battling against will tell us, no, you need to do more. You need to be better at this. You need to have this. Your life needs to look like this. It's very rarely going to say, you know what? Maybe you should quit your job, take a job that pays less and has less hours because your family needs you more. How many times does your internal voice says that? No, it's going to make you feel bad for thinking that. It's going to say, no, you need to store away all that money. You need to keep the 401k. You need to be prepared and do this and look prestigious. Look how hard you worked. It's not going to tell you that relationships matter more than that. So it's hard. We are constantly in battle because of that. And 
it's always, the voice in our head is always going to tell us to do things that only really better ourselves. It's never going to tell us to do things that help other people. It's just trying to get you ahead. But the secret is this. If you're a parent, especially maybe moms, some dads, your kids actually don't care. Now brace yourself. I feel like you guys need to like sit back in the chair. Your kids actually don't care if the countertops are clean. Let that settle. Let that settle. You know, let swallow it down, get a drink of water. Your kids actually don't care if your countertops are clean. They just want to spend time with you making a mess, making dinner. It's true. They don't care. Or, or, or wives, people in relationship, your significant other, your partner, they probably don't care that your eyeliner is perfectly winged and your hair is perfectly curled. It's probably not like their top concern about you. They would much rather see you just be confident and happy and able to get out of the house in less than 15 minutes. Like, that's, that's the priority. Or, or husbands or men out there, I don't think your partner, their top priority is for you to be like super ripped and jacked. It might be on the list, but it's not like top priority for you to have all these cut muscles. They just want you to be able to open the pickle jar. Can I get an amen? Like, get that... That's all we need. We don't ask for much. Why Jesus says what Mary is doing is right, the one sitting at his feet is right, isn't because he's applauding her neglect for doing certain things, but he's applauding her order of priorities. And it's comforting, comforting to me to know that God doesn't want my best. God doesn't want me to be, like, he'd be stoked if I could be this perfect, you know, android human. But God isn't like, all right, I'm only going to love Margot. I'm only going to be excited about what she's doing if she is perfect at everything. He just wants me. <laughs> he just wants me to spend time with him and, and just in his presence. And I think that makes sense to us because I can give all of my time to my job. I can give every waking hour of my day to my work but we all know there's a big difference between giving something your time and giving something your heart and your passion. I can spend 90 hours a week giving something my time, but I could probably do more spending 20 hours a week giving something my heart and my passion. There's a big difference between giving something your time and giving something your passion. And that's how it is with God. God wants relationship with us. He doesn't want us to go through life filling these obligations and not having any heart connection, any passion in there, any relationship, any dialogue. He wants us, not a performance by us. And it's no surprise that our kids, our partners, our coworkers, our friends, when it gets down to it, they don't want a performance by us either. If you've had a parent that just went to work, made supper, and sent you to bed, you know how hurtful it can feel to not have that relationship, to not have that investment, that care, that intention. And it's the same way with God. He doesn't want a performance. He wants a relationship. And it's hard because we're battling that voice, that voice that's saying we need to do this and do this and do this and do this. 
But when we live a performance-based life, we continue to be disappointed because we will never be the highlight reel on social media. We will never be the very small amount that we see of our neighbors' lives. We will never be those things. And so we'll continue to live and disappointed because if you look, if you take a moment and think, all right, I know what my age is now. No one's older than 29 here. I know that. If, if we look at her age now, and we think, where did I think I would be at this age when I was younger? I would say most of us had a different picture. Maybe I'd be living someplace out, else out of the Tri-Cities. Maybe I'd be in that relationship. Maybe I'd have children. Maybe I wouldn't have children. We all had this picture of where we thought we'd be by now, this perfect time in our lives. And oftentimes our reality is very different than that. And it's hard not to get discouraged, to compare ourselves to that dream point in our life that we thought we'd be at. And it reminded me of this really powerful story I heard um, by these parents. And they, they wrote this uh, essay called The Story of Joy. And um, they had tried for children for many, many years and uh, hadn't had luck. And then finally, they were able to, to have their own child. They didn't have to go through the adoption route. And they didn't want to do any tests or anything. They just wanted to enjoy their pregnancy. And when their baby girl was born, uh, they had a, a surprise because she was born with Down syndrome. And it was kind of hard for them because they, they didn't anticipate it. They weren't preparing for that. And it didn't help also that there was people, like friends, would send them messages saying things like, I'm so sorry. And like, you know, we're here for you. And kind of like changing the tone of what should be a really happy occasion. And she admitted that it was very hard. It was very hard for her and her husband to, to accept the reality of where their life was going. Because she said she compared it to saying, they always dreamed of, of having children and having that family. It was like that dream of going to Italy. Everyone around them had gone to Italy, was enjoying Italy, was posting pictures about Italy, how great Italy is. Everyone wants to go to Italy. So, of course, they did the thing. They saved up the money for Italy. They bought the books on Italy. They learned how to speak Italian. They got their bags, gone on the plane. We're going to Italy. The plane lands, and the pilot says, Welcome to Holland. And it was hard. And she realized that, or her husband realized that they had two choices. They could step off the plane in Holland and spend all of their time in Holland grieving and hurt over the fact that they were not in Italy. Or they could go and see the tulips and the Rembrandts and the paintings and tour the countryside and see the windmills. But it's hard. It's hard to appreciate Holland, and Holland is beautiful. There's nothing wrong with Holland. It's just different than Italy. And they had to make a choice, and they had to make that choice every day, especially when they're looking at other people's lives to say, you know what? We're not in Italy. I didn't think I'd land here. I didn't think our lives would go down this way, but where we are is beautiful, and where we are is great. It's not Italy, but it's Holland, and it's awesome. And we have that choice to make every day of our lives to say, you know what? I didn't think my life would look exactly like it does now, but it's great and it's beautiful and there's things here to be found that are wonderful. But that won't happen if we spend time grieving over the loss of this dream. If only I'd done this, if only my life looked different, if only I had this support, if only this went a different way, then we never enjoy what's surrounding us. 
and we stay in this rut of crushed dreams and disappointment, and it just comes from comparison. It's a really tricky thing, comparison. And uh, the book that, that really inspired me to do this series and really instilled in me how important it was, this book called Crash the Chatterbox by Stephen Furtick, he said, don't let what you expected, don't let what you expected keep you from what God wants you to experience. Don't let what you expected your life to look like keep you from what God wants you to experience. And that's a challenge, especially, I know I keep saying it, but especially in social media, to not compare ourselves. But that's, let's, let's be honest. If we look at what social media is, it has a lot of benefits and greatness, but all we're seeing is the highlight reel. No one's taking a picture of the piles of laundry and posting that on their Instagram or on their Facebook page. They're showing their like model children that are in these poses that your kids never stay still for. They, no one posts that stuff on their social media, right? They're just showing you their resume. They're showing you the highlights. They're showing you the best of themselves. And so how unfair is it for us to think that that's reality? That's their reality. And we compare ourselves to that. We compare ourselves to the 1% of their day that's good. And we get, and we stay, we stay grieving that our life doesn't look like that. And we get, we get in this sense of hopelessness. And that's the opposite because what we're basing that disappointment on is very external things, very small things, when really we're supposed to prioritize relationship. When we prioritize relationship, those other disappointments just seem so silly. And that's the way that, that God established it. I mean, the, in the Jewish system that Mary and Martha were living in, there was a huge book of rules that they had to follow in order to be right, in order to be living a good life. And if you messed up, you messed up. And you had to do all these things to kind of get yourself back up the ladder. And, and God looked at that system and he said, you know what? It's not really working for people. So he decided to break the system. I mean, he made the system. He can break the system. So he sent Jesus down to fulfill every single rule, to live it perfectly, because he's saying, hey, I know that's too hard of a heavy of a burden to expect you guys to be perfect. So I'm going to go, I'm going to do that, take that burden away from you. So instead of running around trying to make everything perfect, you can just sit at my feet and be with me. Let's just make it easy. And I think that's, that's one of the most incredible things about what Jesus did is he got rid of the rule book in favor of relationship. So we wouldn't have to be running around. So we wouldn't have to be exhausting ourselves to live up to some perfect standard. He said, the priority is to be with me and to be in a relationship with me, not to meet a standard. God met the standard for us so that we no longer had to meet it and so that we no longer had to live a life defined by just how much we fall short. That doesn't define us anymore. If the rule book doesn't exist, then we can't say, hey, I, you know, I fell short of the rule book. We define ourselves by how close we are, our relationship. And because of what, what, what God did for us, we, we can pursue that instead of pursuing this perfection based on rules and what society thinks is, is great and perfect. But it's hard, right? It's hard to trust that that's the right way to go. You're saying, okay, like I know relationship with God, but like that sounds, that's ambiguous. That's not, I kind of like the rule book. If I have the rule book, I know exactly where to go and what to do. The relationship thing, relationships are messy and hard and kind of it takes more time because it's an investment. 
I don't know if I want to go that way. And it reminds me, we, me and my mother and my fiance were just on this crazy road trip. And we all do this. We have this device that has been crafted over years with engineers and people way smarter than me and satellites flying through space to try to tell Margot, who doesn't know Washington, where to go. And do I trust the scientists and years of technology, or do I trust my wonky instincts that know nothing? If I have trouble trusting a device whose sole purpose is to get me where I need to go, it's not really surprising that I have trouble sometimes saying, hey, God, you sure it's just about the relationship thing? You sure that's just that's all I need to do is just keep going into this unknown? It's, it's not surprising that we struggle with that. And he understands. But the thing is, he's leading us on a path that goes way beyond what we are capable of ourselves, way beyond my skills, way beyond my talents. The path leads through that and beyond, and we just have to keep walking down. It's Martin Luther King said that faith is like a staircase that you can't see, and faith is taking the first step. It's hard. It's hard to trust. It's hard to say, okay, I, I've been just trying to follow the rules and be a good person, but you're saying it's more than that relationship is scary. It's scary to be in a committed relationship, to invest in that way. But when we take a step away from the rule book and a step towards relationship, when we say, you know what, instead of comparing myself to other people, I'm going to know that God says I'm good. And that actually crashes those voices. It self-destructs those toxins in our brain that say that we're not enough and we will never be enough. It frees us from that path. And so that's our choice. We can continue to beat ourselves up over the highlight reel. Or we can realize that God covered the standard and he just wants to be with us and find freedom in that. We can be like the Martha and run around and try to be the perfect mom, the perfect sister, the perfect student, the perfect husband. Or we can just say, you know, what? I'm just going to invest in my relationships and it'll work out. We can judge how good our lives are by comparing our messy corners to everyone else's perfection. Or we can realize that God calls us loved and favored and chosen and to walk from disappointment into joy, knowing that it's all about relationship. So we're going to pray. God, we, we thank you that... Uh, even when we, we fall so short of perfection, God, that, that you still want to lead us forward. God, that even when our lives aren't what we thought they'd look like at this age and this date, God, that you still have a plan for us. God, I just thank you that um, we, have, we don't have to live by rules, God. We don't have to live by this, this impossible standard, God. We just need to be close to you and pursue you. God, help us to find beauty in our Hollands, whatever they are. Help us to, to see that there's so many more blessings around us if we would just stop comparing ourselves to other people. God, we know comparison is the thief of joy. So we just ask to stop allowing ourselves to have our joy and our happiness stolen by comparing us to other people and just see that, that you love us. It's as simple as that. So God, we thank you for, for doing so much for us and for breaking the rule book so that we can just be in a relationship with you. In your name we pray, amen.